Welcome to Firefly Ignite, your podcast for inspiring you to honor and live out of your creative heart. I'm your host, Lauren Roberts, and today's guest was a real privilege to interview. Richard Louie is an MSNBC news anchor and journalist. Richard was previously with CNN Worldwide, and he's directed the Oscar-qualifying documentary called Sky Blossom. Richard has an extensive career working in television, film, technology, and business, and he's lived, worked, and volunteered on every continent. Today we focus our conversation on his newly released book, Enough About Me, The Unexpected Power of Selflessness. Let's tune in. So welcome, Richard Louie, to this podcast. So good to have you here today. It's great to be here, Lauren. Thanks for having me and talking about the topic of selflessness. Well, I've read your book. I love it. I'm excited to talk about it and get into the heart behind it. Um, but before we jump into that, I'd love to hear a bit of the backstory behind it and mm. how did this book kind of come into being? So tell me <laughs> a bit about yourself and the kind of progression of events leading up to this book. Yeah, I know, Lawrence, a bit of a heady idea, like it's above my pay grade. And um, but what got me into it was, uh, I think, caring for my father uh, about the last seven years, who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, and then I had to make a choice about how I'd be able to take care of him. And uh, one of the ways uh, was to work less. And so I w walked into my boss's office and um, sh I was thinking that's the end of it. And she instead said, well, I'm a long distance caregiver too. My mom's in Florida. And so let's come up with some ideas. And one of those ideas was to work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And um, that's the beginning of it. And so now seven years later of taking care of my pops, um, going back two or three times from New York to San Francisco uh, has given me a lot of time to think about what it means to do stuff like that. Right. And I bet that was a bit of a surprise for you with approaching your boss and then really not knowing what that would mean for your career and then the outcome of it. That could have been square peg round hole. Uh, thank you, Richard, but we don't have any jobs like that for you. Um, and instead, um, she said, well, we're going to do something different. And I thought that was a very selfless notion. Right. Right. That's great. Great for you and great for, you know, being able to keep that connection with your father. And obviously history has unfolded and there's been a lot that has been able to be deposited in you as a result of that. You know, I also am aware of the film that you directed, Sky Blossom, right. which beautifully documents these young caregivers in the U.S. And how much of that experience in working on that film contributed to the book as well? Oh, yeah. It, it was sort of like the step to the book, right? A uh, step right before. So it was my caregiving. And then I started talking about caregiving with uh, the Alzheimer's Association and AARP. And then I was like, well, how can we do more? Because we have over 50 million folks in the U.S., family caregivers, no pay, no training. And they're worth about a half a trillion dollars in work every year. And there's a cultural gap. So 
then began, okay, we go to a book and, uh, excuse me, we go to a movie, which often is what is a, a cultural gathering point. And so we, we did that and then we moved on. That inspired the book. So you're right. It was, it was, it was, it was a, we, so the movie is about five student caregivers across the country from the Midwest to the South, to the East, to the West and the Pacific Islands. And these 11 to 26 year olds, Lauren, were so inspiring um, of giving of themselves without truly even thinking that they were giving of themselves, if you will. It was just a natural, like, I think as we're, as we gain, gain in days, as if you will, as we gain in days, we start to think more about what does it mean to go, oh, you know, if I do that, though, I can't do that. And like very, very consciously, I think they do think that. But I think it's much more reactive of, oh, I have to do that. That's going to take effort, but it's more reactive of the heart as opposed to the brain sitting there stewing on it. As we get older and we gain days, I think we, we do stew more about the fact that it is a sacrifice. When in reality, I think the connotation of sacrifice is uh, maybe not always um, positive because it, it, it implies a, a subtraction. And what the way we approach the book is that it's an addition that uh, when you are selfless, whether in small ways or in longer ways, um, that you are additive. One plus one equals three is what we say in the book. Right. It's not just a loss. It's not a loss. To give is actually something in which we're replenished ourselves, but our minds kind of play with us and try to distract right. us from actually doing it. Right, exactly. And we sometimes overthink it. And that's okay, because it's sometimes it is time to overthink it. But the toughest thing we do in overthinking when we go to this space is when we think it needs to be perfect, where the selfless thing we're going to do needs to be a one or zero, like a uh, giving money to a person that is homeless. That's a very typical, common, back and forth, selfless debate as we live through it uh, in many cities in the U.S., walk by a person that's homeless and you go, well, if I give money, then how will they spend the money? And wait, let me take another second look at the person that's homeless. And, you know, it's, it's this grand debate that happens in about five seconds and then we're already passed. Mm -hmm. And it's because we expect perfection. When really... 51% of us perhaps giving that person that's homeless a dollar or, or a pound or a euro is generally 51% positive. Mm -hmm. And so that has really sort of released my ability to make uh, more decisions. And they don't have to be perfect. Like I can be wrong sometimes, right? And But as long as my intention and my thought process is 51% net good, I'm moving the ball down the road, uh, down the field, excuse me. Right. You really get into this idea in your book. You label it, I think, perfection paralysis yes. of this kind of thing that we all experience where we want to do the absolute best, most perfect thing in a situation. And most of the time we don't, but, but just doing something is actually much better than nothing at all or that paralysis that yeah. we find ourselves in. All things being equal, right? All things being equal. It's, it's just like exercising. When we exercise, we're not the perfect runner. We're not the perfect walker. We're not the perfect weightlifter. 
but we still do it. And we know because at some element, we're, we're building a muscle and right. the muscles react. And in our brain, it's the same way. And, and the way, the reason being is, you know, it's proven out throughout the last years, we've seen healthcare workers in hospitals all across the world. And they're, they're telling their story in, in front of a camera up from their phone. And you see the fear and you go, why are you walking into the hospital after this? Why are you leaving the car based on what you have just told me? And it's because every day of their career, because of the Hippocratic Oath, their, their very goodness individually, they know they've been serving other people as a profession. So even when this big unknown thing is attacking the world, they still go to work. That's right. muscle tone, right, Lauren? Yeah. And so when the big thing happens, they're ready to jump. Now, if they didn't do that every day, let's say they asked you or me to go into the hospital, um, we may not have the muscle tone to leap for many reasons, but you get the point. Yeah, it's those little incremental daily choices that in the end actually result in something we would maybe label as heroic, but it's because they've built that muscle memory, that selflessness muscle memory into their system. That's right. Exactly. And that's the hope uh, for many reasons, because it's sort of like in career. Uh, I'm going to wait until I hit a certain point in my career and then I'll volunteer and then I'll give. Um, we don't know necessarily what the next day will bring us. And it's not, therefore, that we would run wild thinking that tomorrow will not be, but it is that why not make it part of our fabric? Um, because in the end, it's not, and I'll go back to where we started, Lauren, it's not like, oh, well, if I have to volunteer five hours a month, that that's taking away from who I am. It is additive. It is pick something you really have interest in and go. And it is additive to your main plant, as we talk about in three plants, which might, might be your career, um, you as a pastor, me as a journalist. But what are the other two things? Uh, potentially, Lauren, you like working on cars. Well, and you like MGs specifically. Go and join a, an MG club, right, for instance. And for me, uh, I, I enjoy issues. People ask me this all the time, Lauren. I enjoy issues related to... Uh, and I enjoy meaning I like to be part of the solution uh, to end human trafficking, to end gender inequity. Those, and I, I actually get a lot of satisfaction and release and people might think, oh, but you might see that as work. I, I don't, but these are these other plants that are being fed outside of journalism. Mm -hmm. You know, I love something that you said in your book when you were referring to helping your dad and you said, you know, in those beginning stages, you said, my mind and heart did not agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just describe that a little bit, because I think that that's really important in this understanding of being selfless is that it, this is not about a feeling or emotion. What did that look like in, in the first few years of interacting with your dad and flying back to California? Yeah, my mind said... Um... You've worked on this a long time. You have really wanted to, you know, be a news anchor uh, to tell stories that needed to be told. 
the heart said, um, you know, your dad's done a lot for you. Uh, that actually got you to this point and given and defended you and fought for you and developed you. And so did my mother, absolutely both of them. Um, and so in the end, um, they both won out. Um, and I ended up making that choice. And so, but at times it's not like, oh, you make the choice and therefore it is. There were lots of ups and downs. There still are today. Uh, for instance, you know, as me and the family work towards future solutions, we're not all seeing eye to eye. We're not. And I wish we, we could, but we don't. That doesn't, I don't think that's the end of it. I just, it's what we have to deal with. And yeah. That's that's the down. But then the, the up is um, here. My father and mother, because of who they are and what they've shown me, I, the craziest thing in the world is I've written a book about selflessness. And I bet you my dad and mom are laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> they actually got Richard to do what? They got him to write a book about selflessness? <laughs> I imagine this was not the topic that you envisioned no. yourself writing about. If you ever dreamed of authoring, this was not on the front no. cover. The other book I was wanting to work on was a business book, but here I am in the anti-self, self-help <laughs> book space. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just you couldn't pick a, a a more laughing all the way to the bank sort of situation for my parents. <laughs> you know, this is a book in some ways that's an autobiography not everything in your life, but it details parts of your life. But it's it's more than that. And it's a culmination of your experiences as a reporter, what your parents modeled, the um, mentors that you had in your life, coupled with this strong message of selflessness that's emerged from it. And so the wisdom that comes from it really can bypass any any situation, any culture, any political party, there's so much wisdom in saying, hey, stop thinking about me yeah. and let's start thinking about we. Right. No, and, and that was the approach was that because you said uh, it bypasses any sort of political party. And if that were to be the epitome of us not getting along right now, politics, that was the goal is that uh, let's go across the line, whatever that line is. And one of the examples of that is uh, a study that we explore in the book that came out of Stanford that looked at prejudices related to race and ethnicity. Um, but it can be applied to everyday work in business or in our lives. Let's just say um, <clears throat> you don't like um, blue blazers. Um, and I don't like uh, my and you don't like microphones. <clears throat> and I have, a, I have a microphone right here, obviously. <laughs> this one. It's not showing up in the camera. There it is. <laughs> there, All right. I see it. I see there it, it is finally. Um, but it shows that after three lunches, three coffees, three meetings, the measurement of prejudice indicators, which are were at, at the high before you and I met three times, goes down to just above zero. And if it's that simple where we can reach outside of ourselves to somebody else we don't disagree we, we disagree with and try to meet three times when we have a lunch that shows you that selflessness can work across many different ways and, and 
the book purposely looks at science and research. Uh, there was a scientist that was part of the team. There was a researcher that was part of the team. And that's kind of the business hat from my old, because I was in business for 15 years, that I try to put into it. And in fact, Lauren, uh, when we were going through the edits, they're like, Richard, you got to pull out. That's too much stuff. We're putting people to sleep. I mean, I'm sure people are already uh, a little sleepy eyed. I'm glad you drank a lot of coffee, Lauren, when you read it. Uh, <laughs> But that's that's kind of the that's kind of the approach to it because I have to prove, I, I believe, to myself that this is workable and doable. I had to balance the heart and the mind, as you said. And you know, I really appreciate that about the book is that you do bring in not just your personal experiences. You have this whole chapter on Republicans and Democrats, and the fact being that the selflessness is very very close in statistics. Although it looks differently, it's walked out in different ways. And so yes. you can't just point a finger at, oh, you're such and such a party. Statistically, we're actually much more on the same page than we realize. We are. Um, when we, we point across the aisle, like, you don't care, or that, that you don't care. And I think collectively, the same ills affect the entire system as opposed to one system. And, and, Look, I think that if we were to do a study and that we do cite several research um, outcomes that looked at Republicans versus Democrats or progressives versus conservatives. And, you know, that is above my pay grade, but at least with the research and the research and the scientists that we worked with is that it shows you can't categorically point to one side or the other and make some sort of broad statement. And you know, just side note, it's great what you did in your book in pulling it together because the finished piece of this book is actually in a way a very collaborative work of art woven together with the talents of many people, no doubt yes. with a lot of diversity, a lot of opinions, and yet you were intentional about bringing a lot of people together, the illustrators, the researchers, et cetera, you could have done it probably in a much more simplified way, yet there was <laughs> intentionality about bringing lots of people with their diversity into the finished work. Yes. Um, I'm a big sort of team collaborative uh, leader in, in the projects that I need to head up because I can't do it alone. And um so I reached out to the people I trust and that I thought were the best for the project and uh, it numbered all, all 10. So we had two poets, uh, we had two comedians, we had uh, the scientists, the researcher, we have two data illustrators, we had one cover illustrator, we had one cartoonist, um, we had one collaborator who was Nancy French, who was my book Sherpa, as I like to say, because she was kind of like, you know, I've never done this before, Nancy. What? How does this work? And she's like, oh, let me help you, Richard. This is what you do. Um, and I, the one thing I can do is work in a team well. Um, and given the time frame, I, I really did believe we were, were living through a selfish pandemic. And for that reason, uh, I wanted to get it out as fast as possible. In fact, we, we the fact that it's out March 23rd this week is uh, a huge credit to the publisher 
uh, HarperCollins Zondervan, who uh, Carolyn McCready, who is my um, editor, was the best person ever to work with on this. She she made it happen. Um, and you know, in the book world, uh, a schedule is a schedule typically, but she was able to whoop, get it get it working. Well, I'm glad that you did. It's such a poignant message that you are sensing the urgency on to address, yes. to infiltrate in a way, and this altruistic lifestyle that you're promoting because it benefits society. It benefits all of us. It and does. as a added bonus, it benefits us personally as well. It is um, one of those things that at the end of the day, I was thinking, I can't believe it because <laughs> we set out to do it. And um, when you open the book, I hope that the hope is that if we would do because we do one thing different. That that's the idea, Lauren. Because um, we make a conscious decision, which we we looked into. How often do humans make a conscious decision? And uh, scientists say about every fifteen minutes. And we brought all of this together because we hope that you can find something in this sort of instruction manual of a book that you might consider when you're at that fifteen minute mark. I want to go get a lunch. I'm going to go visit. A loved one. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go get groceries. Um, I'm going to watch a TV program. What are the options that you have? You know, do I offer? Hey, Lauren, would you like me to get you coffee? Hey, Lauren, I'm going to send you a lunch. I know it's crazy, but it was great talking to you today. But I'm going to send you a lunch. Can I? Can I? Can I get your address? And I'm just going to send you something. We're old friends. I just feel like doing that, or, or, or send somebody a thank you card. Things like that. And the book gives a lot of practical ideas, which is great because we don't want it to be just sort of this ethereal concept That's that right. other people are doing. So talk to me about a few of those ideas that you have written about. You already mentioned going to lunch with somebody that you probably wouldn't want to be with under normal circumstances, but doing it anyway. So what are some other things that you would suggest to people? You know, some of the other things that we suggested is language um, and stories that stick, which is one of the chapters. Uh, it, it shows that stories well told of those who are selfless really do change uh, a person the, for the recipient and the person hearing the story uh, in terms of them thinking of others. And the example that we cite is out of DARPA. There was a scientist that was hired for DARPA to look at the Middle East crisis. And they looked at Israelis and how they viewed uh, those around them. And the, the issue that they had, for instance, looking at those potentially uh, in the Middle East, was that after showing them a movie of those who are not like them living through a common life and going through the difficulties of, of life, daily life because of poverty that the uh, Israel defense force members that were part of the uh, study, that their compassion and, and empathy for those who might be seen as their uh, enemies or non-friends rose. And that was simply by showing stories of the other, of showing how that 
that and that shows you then that you can create a selfless environment through story. Another mm -hmm. simplistic thing about language is use less I, use less me. I think, I believe. Well, that's great. Who are you, Richard? Right? Um, what what is the study that shows it, or what is the the expert that is talking about it to make the point? Um, another possibility in language that you can do every day is to try to get people's names right, no matter how difficult they are. Um, hi, uh, Lauren Roberts. Is that correct? And for for me, Richard Richard is that Richard Lou. Uh, Louis, uh, Lee, um, that's okay. That's all mm -hmm. right. And that, mm -hmm. that is giving, cause it's an uncomfortable question to ask for many of us because we don't want to feel like we don't, we don't know how to say it and right. or we don't or we're know scared it. To offend. <laughs> yeah. And we just have to get outside of ourselves for that moment and give the respect to the person to say, I really want to get you right. Cause you are you. And most mm. people who have difficult names prefer that we intentionally ask, ha, ha, great to meet you, Richard. And how do I pronounce your last name? Great. Want to get it right. So Richard Louie, good to meet you. Ba, 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 ba. And we actually have a cartoon in the, um, in the book about that because me as a journalist, I often get names incorrectly. <laughs> and I have to ask, how do I pronounce your name? Uh, so that, those are some of the things you can do every day that are bite size in, in what you what you do. Right. Just being intentional about thinking about the other person, what they're feeling, how, how you can honor who they are by how you're looking at them, engaging with them, focusing on them, not your phone. I mean, just little, little things that actually make a really big difference. And if you don't do those things also the impact that it can have on the person that you're with. Yeah. So, and we try to yeah, practical, practical to a point here, Lauren, where you can, you can take a, a test. We have a uh, two tests in there to figure out how selfless you are because of, what's the starting point, right? And it gives you a score uh, roughly from one to 50. And then there's also a, a test in there. If you give too much, and that mm -hmm. does happen. There are folks that give way too much of themselves. And uh, that's what's called unmitigated selflessness. And, and there are deleterious effects of health, happiness. Um, and, and we really do want to be able to find what is that right place for you right now to try out being a little bit more selfless. And I, I appreciate you giving space to those who are too selfless. We all know people that are in that category. Yeah. I guess the reason why I put that in that chapter, because originally it was going to be its own chapter. Um, and we ended up putting it into another one. Is it possible? And the reason being is because I saw how my mother was giving too much to care for my father who had Alzheimer's. And... She, we have uh, these cloud cameras so that we can help her watch and care for my father. And there was one time she was screaming at him, but she wasn't really screaming at him when I heard it. She was screaming at the situation. She was screaming out of pain and she was screaming for help. 
and I heard it because you know you know your 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 parents emotions well and I knew that's what her scream meant and that then was like okay we need to talk about people who give too much and when my, when my mom f- finally made the very difficult decision to say I can't take care of him anymore I just it's impossible and even with the part-time caregivers and me I'd, I'd come over like three days a week from New York and I'd stay overnight at their house it still was way too much for all of us and my no matter how much help this is the way it works. No matter how much help was there, she would worry whether everything was happening the way it should be. That mm-hmm. was the thing. And that was her just giving so much of herself. And when my father was finally moved into a care community, you saw how much it took away from her. That she no lo- she didn't play the violin for two years and she loves music since she mm-hmm. was a teenager. Uh, she stopped going to church and she loved uh, her church community that she had been a part of for, you know, gosh, 60 years in in San Francisco because she's from L.A. And all of those things that she would love, you know, singing in the choir or seeing her fellow choir mates, you know, my mother, 86 now, that didn't stop her, you know, going to the food bank, that didn't stop her, you know, to help folks out. But now she... But that's unmitigated selflessness. And there's a lot that reflects what I saw in what my mother was going through and my father. And this isn't necessarily a story about them, but it is a story about them. Yeah. And it's a beautiful story. And at the same time, you make a point again of saying this is not perfection. It wasn't perfect. They weren't perfect. (laughs) I'm no. not perfect. No. But what do we do? We we take little yeah. steps here and there. We do what we can. And that's what results in the selflessness. That's what results in the uh, the beauty that's unfolded in your life. So I am so glad you bring up that point uh, because, you know, my, my father being um, one of the few people of color that became a pastor in the 1950s. I was looking back at some of the pictures of him from his yearbook at Fuller Seminary in Southern California. And I think there were maybe four in his class of 400 or whatever it was in the picture because I had the big class picture of all of them standing there. And I think my mom probably said, oh, you know, look at that Asian American man. I'm Asian American. Yeah hot guy who he's a pastor and my mom was my mom was a you know she sang in the choir at the age of 15 you know she she just so when she saw that guy she was just like woo wee um you know that's that's a that's a unique person but then she found out and he wasn't so perfect and certainly i saw that too Uh, and the journey of accepting that was long but Sometimes it, it's okay that it's long, right? And, and I, I'm glad at the end of the day, I learned one of the lessons, I'm sure there'll be more, that that imperfection is, is just a-okay. And because he, at the heart of who he is, was really trying his hardest the way he could. And it was above the middle, certainly. And um, when you say the imperfection that we're imperfect in a big, big way. And if we can look past that, uh, but still strive for the perfection or the big idea, which in this case is selflessness, 
I know, heady idea. It's kind of, you know, when you meet people, you go, hey, Lauren, good to meet you. Let's talk about selflessness. No, that's, 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 a, that's a little weird. Right. But um, it, it, I, we wanted to, that's why it's very much a practical instruction guide because it is a little bit way out there. The first chapter is called Halftime for the reason that you talked about imperfection in that I am no expert. What I am is a journalist that said, okay, I see this thing happening. I see the selfish pandemic. We got to do something. How can we do something? And that's, that's what's in the book. Yeah. Part of that selflessness and looking outward is, is accepting and being aware of another person's humanity, not expecting them to be at a standard that is perfect because we know ourselves and how we're not perfect either. And so if we can see that, we can look at others and acknowledge they're human just as much as we are. And so how can I be intentional about caring for this person where they're at? Just like I would want somebody to be selfless and caring towards me as well. Yes. And that is that vision for the moment, if we can, if we can do that. And um, I think back often when I'm going through the day of how I'm goofing up, because uh, I've written some things that are really for myself, because I goof up all the time. You know, like even this book process is a little is is selfish. And I feel a little weird about it. It's, you know, you, you have to talk about your experiences. And you might ask, you know, like, why in the book, do you talk about yourself so much, Richard? And the reason being is, I think that uh, vulnerability is an important part of being selfless, because it shows that you're willing to, you know, expose yourself in a lot of ways. And uh, I tried to do that. I wasn't perfect about it in the book. But it is an exercise of me showing how I goof up, I goofed up a lot um, in my steps. And I'd rather make fun of myself than others because it's the others may not like the fact that I'm making fun of them. Um, but that's the approach is to, and, and, and you know, it. it's, it's sort of a, we have fun along the way too. It's not like I'm, we're shaking a finger at you the whole way through. We try Absolutely. to have fun throughout and that's why we yes. have cartoons. <laughs> exactly. I love the cartoons and I definitely burst out laughing a couple times so appreciate the lightheartedness of it in many ways, and yet the depth that it contains as well. So well done on that. <laughs> and just one more question for you regarding all of this is, what have you learned in regards to gratitude and the connection that it has with selflessness? Personally, I believe it's uh, the big cousin favorite cousin of selflessness. You might call it the um, graduate course or the advanced course, because to give gratitude uh, is to express vulnerability in that you got, just got something from somebody. And we don't like to do that <laughs> generally. And we don't like to do it genuinely, I should say. Like to really say, I could not have done that, Lauren, if it weren't for you. We, we, we do do that sometimes, but there's a lot of things around us that have gotten us to where we're at. And when I was writing, I, I took out the book and I just got it this week and I was writing a copy to my boss. And I want the one who said, Richard, it's okay to work three days. 
and I was writing it. I, and I, without even thinking, I was like, well, what do I want to say? I want to thank her. And it's the first time I wrote it. I said, thank you for changing my life. I just did a movie about student caregivers and I wrote a book about selflessness because you decided that you would allow me to work three days a week to take care of my father. If she had not said yes, no book, no movie. I was like, well, that's a little forward, Richard. You changed my life. Um, but it's the reality. Right. And we'd suggest in, in the book, check out a gratitude app. There's there's two or three really widely used ones. I used one for, I signed up for one a year ago and I was looking back at what I do day to day. And some days I'm, I'm thankful for, for you, Lauren, for taking the time and, and reading the book and really, really being part of caring about this value. And I know you've invested time. I'm, I, I'm so, that's the purposes, right? That we all can spend a little bit more time about one of the values that bring us together. And that is important to say. And, and, and some days I thank you for Lauren for taking the time. She's, gosh, she had to read that thing, that yellow book. I'm so thankful for her for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and or sometimes it's thankful. I'm thankful and grateful for water, uh, clean water, um, electricity, you know. Sometimes uh, it changes to my family. Again, it's part of the selfless muscle. Another thing we can do in gratitude, which some of your listeners may have done before, is a gratitude letter. And somebody that has meant so much to you and given so much to you. Um, in, in effect, uh, I, I mentioned one of my mentors in there. His story is, in effect, a gratitude letter. And he texted me yesterday and he said, Richard, what are you, whoever this guy Mike is, and it's Mike actually texting me, whoever this guy Mike is better live up to it. I was like, Mike, <laughs> the thing you did is, and I, I, I do believe it even to this day, this is uh, 20 years later, is that you genuinely, who, whatever your parents taught you and whatever you learned, you were trying to take care of us as your employees, as family. Now, gratitude letters, when you write them and then you read it to the person, so you write the letter, one page or whatever, and I read it, then you go to the person, let's say it's to you, Lauren, you read it. And it's shown that the dopamine and oxytocin levels jump for about a month for both the person that is receiving the gratitude as well as the giver. And it's not only good because it's the right thing to do, but it's also healthy. Mm, right. So. That there's a lot of things in the book, as you notice, that you'll read, well, why is Richard talking about attractiveness? Why is he talking about living longer? Why is he talking about happiness? I thought this is the anti-self self-help book. Why are we talking about those things? Right. Because there's a lot of unintended benefits of doing it. You do you are happier, you do live longer, and why not? It's all part of the idea of being selfless. So good. Great advice, great wisdom. Thank you so much for putting the time into writing this book and sharing it with the world. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks, Richard. Well, I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Richard. You can find out more about him at richardlui.com. That's richardlui.com. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it. That will help spread the word and get this podcast out to others who would benefit from it. Thanks again, everyone.